Good morning. Hey, it's good to be back. I told Kyler today, I said, y'all have, uh, y'all had just a long enough break from me to forget why you didn't invite me back for a while. Let's get this out of the way. Because Lucas, I feel energetic today. I feel like preaching it down today. The nice thing is when you, my amen corner's in the building. It's good to see you today. This wire is going to give us some problems, isn't it? Uh, one of the interesting things about driving down the turnpike is you have a little bit of time to let a message percolate. Is this thing going to just bounce like that the whole time? Let me just, let me go handheld. This one, yeah. All right, there we go. Yeah, I, I get a little bit of time on the turnpike for things to kind of heat up and percolate. And I, I, I pray that today's message will fill you up. It'll build you up. To strengthen your faith. I love this place. My main man is not in the building today, Ron Babbitt, but if he uh, or his bride, if, if, if you're online, I love you. If you watch this later, I love you. If you never watch it, I still love you. Um, but man, just talk about somebody who's been faithful, has been faithful to the call. And we're here today because some people really cared about it. It wasn't just them, but I always believe that's important. And then love what's happening with you, Kyler, Jonathan, um, mountain man's in the building. I, I'm just seeing old friends here today. So what I love is that you've been through, like the rest of us, a global pandemic. And you, it looks like y'all came out of, the, out of the other side of it stronger. It looks like you came out of the other side with more faith. Looks like you may have weathered a storm, but you learned that your roots can grow deeper even in the most difficult season. So I'm in a point in my life, in a season of transition right now, and I believe when you go through those moments, those are the moments when you have to come back to what's most important. What's the foundation? It's, it's the same as Vince Lombardi every year would stand up before his football team in the Green Bay Packers and he would say to them, he'd hold up a football and he'd say, gentlemen, this is a football. He wanted to get back to the foundation. He wanted to get back to the fundamentals. He wanted to get back to the essence, the essence of what's important. And today I want us to go back to this thing that we would just call the sure thing. And I'll read you a verse. I might read you two. If you have a Bible, would you turn in your Bible? Don't you like it when you hear that? Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I like it when preachers say, turn in your Bible. Because otherwise, I think that they might just be talking about what they're thinking about the whole time. Turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross 
is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let me read that again. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let me give you three more verses. You just move all the way to verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. All right, so on those four verses, we're going to base this message. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for how you love us. Thank you for how you are with us. And as we approach your word today, I ask that you would give us fresh revelation to know you and to know this thing, this thing that Paul talked about. This simple message that that would become something that would, it would completely become the foundation upon which we stand. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now that we got the introduction out of the way, I got a timer going on, on my watch. I know they're in children's church, so we're going to take care of them. We won't be in here too long. But in the next uh, 75 to 90 minutes, what I plan for us to do, and some of y'all are smiling about that. Some of you, some of you are going, you know what? <laughs> some of you are going, you know what? We know you could do it. Invite me back sometime, and let's just, let's just hang out all day. I'd love to just come in here and preach all day. We'll see who can, who can just hang out all day in here. We'll have a blast together. Uh, happy Halloween uh, for those of you who are celebrating the devil's birthday. Uh, oh, man. Uh, I know it's not his birthday, but my neighborhood just decided that they would bring out um, all kinds of dark stuff to, to let me know what was inside of their hearts. I was like, man, I was walking through the neighborhood last night, and I was like, this is, this is an unpleasant place to be right now. I mean, like, I, I know what y'all have been thinking on all year, and finally you got a time to put it on, on your windows. Um, and, and uh, you know, I'm more, people are like, do you like to, to watch scary movies? No, absolutely not. Because when the scary movie ends, it begins in my mind right after. And then I have to deal with nightmares that come from that terrible experience. So while y'all are watching, you know, whatever scary movie about Freddy and Jason or Saw or whatever, I'm watching Elf. I'm watching Ice Age. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? We're going to stay happy in my house. But I remember when I was a kid, when I was a kid, we went trick-or-treating. Anybody go trick-or-treating when you were a kid? If you don't raise your hand right now, I don't know if you're with me. Let me ask again. Anybody go trick-or-treating as a kid? Anybody not go trick-or-treating as a kid? 
Anybody just not here today? Okay, so um, when I was a kid, we go trick-or-treating, and we went up Valencia Drive. I remember Valencia Drive. We lived on Santiago, if you were curious, but if you went up Valencia Drive, then you come down Madrid. Up at the top was Granada. That was our little neighborhood block. As we walked up Valencia, which was the steepest hill in the neighborhood, uh, there was a house that was about two or three houses from the top of that hill on the left side. And as we walked up, in the driveway was seated a scarecrow. Now, I'm not a scarecrow guy. Some of you are scarecrow people. You've decorated your homes. This is judgment-free. We love you. Uh, but I, I, I'm not, I, I don't get into the scarecrow thing. And um, it said clearly on a sign, take one only. I'm a, I'm a youngest child. Could be known to break a few rules. But this is trick-or-treat. My mom told us, you do whatever the signs say and whatever the people say, so don't take more than you're supposed to. So my oldest sister went up, she took one. Next sister went up, she took one. I go up, I take one. We were with one of the girls in the neighborhood, and she goes, you know what? The sign doesn't even tell us, so I think I'm just going to take as many as I want. And she reaches down to grab a couple, and then she's like, you know what, I don't even think that this scarecrow, like, what is this thing anyway? And she reaches, she reaches, she reaches out to grab the scarecrow's knee, and as she does, the scarecrow's hand reaches forward and grabbed her hand and said, put him back in there. I almost dropped all of my candy. I say almost, I'm a man of priorities. <laughs> so though I was terrified in the moment, I held on to my candy, but we took off down the driveway and went on our merry way, trick or treating. I remember at church when, when I was growing up, one time, uh, I don't know why, <laughs> some of y'all definitely experienced this growing up. We, our church decided uh, this was pre-trunk or treat. Remember, like, trunk or treat came out, everybody's like, this is perfect. All the candy, none of the danger, let's do it in a church parking lot. But before trunk or treat, Christians didn't really know what to do with the holiday, so they created a little something called um, our harvest festival. Anybody grow up going to a harvest festival? We went to a harvest festival at church when I was a, a little kid a, 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 as if we were farmers. There were no farmers in our church except for one family. But we were showing up, and I said, Dad, why, why are we having a harvest festival? It's Halloween. <laughs> this is the same people I think came up with the harvest festival as the, the people who give you, 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 you all remember, Halloween a few years ago, there was, at least when I was a kid growing up, Kyler, you probably had this too. Um, they, they, were, they were actually at the time warning people that um, they needed to check their kids' bags because people were putting razor blades in apples. And I just got to say, who are the sick people who are giving apples away for Halloween? We did not dress up to come into the night to have apples. We are here for candy. <laughs> but I remember we go to the Harvest Festival, and my dad would be like, well, it's harvest time, son. You know, it's, it's, it's the church. We're going to have a season of harvest, and it's the great harvest. And it was like, okay, that's, that's great. Sounds a little bit like Charlie Brown. But 
We showed up one time, and at this Harvest Festival, there was one apple that I remember, and it was lodged into a full pig, this full pig's mouth, and we ended up having like a big barbecue with, with, a, with the pig that day. It was one of the best Harvest Festivals that I ever had. That was my Halloween experience. We either went trick-or-treating or we had a Harvest Festival at church, and on lucky years, we had both. There's an interesting thing that happens, though, at trick-or-treat, and that's the big question is, is it a trick or is it a treat? Just real quick, look at your neighbor. I'm not going anywhere. Look at your neighbor and just tell them, what's your favorite Halloween candy? What's your favorite? No, no, no. you got to look at your neighbor. Y'all don't do this very often, do you? Look at your neighbor what, and, and say, what's your favorite Halloween candy? And then answer your neighbor whatever they say. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, thank you very much. Anybody else? Okay, so those of us who love Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, and there's everybody else. Um, I'll tell you what, what's not my favorite, uh, what's not my, my favorite candy, Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> who are my Tootsie Roll people in here? You love Tootsie Rolls. You live for, for Tootsie Rolls. Who are the people who are loading people up with Tootsie Rolls? You like it? You're just happy to be here. Hey, you know, um, it's a trick or is a treat? I felt like it was a trick when I got apples. <laughs> I felt like it was a treat when I got Reese's peanut butter cups. I'm sorry if this offends you, but I kind of felt like, I, like it was a trick when I got a Tootsie Roll when I thought that I was going to get a Snickers bar. I'm not here to hate on the Tootsie Roll. I just felt like the, like the Snickers bar was a little bit better than the Tootsie Roll. You look around in life... And one of the things that you come to at this point, like after everything that we've been through together over the past couple years, and it has felt like whether, even if we didn't see each other, it kind of felt like we were all going through this thing together. And one of the things that I think we're asking is, what's real? And is it a trick or is it a treat? You dig a little bit deeper and it's more like, do I really believe this? Do I really trust this? And I'm getting news from here and I'm getting news from here and these sources are disagreeing with each other. So is, are these ones right or are these ones wrong? And you know, you got one relative who's like, trust me, it's CNN. And then the other relative who's like, trust me, it's Fox News. And you're kind of like, I don't know, like maybe, where do I walk this thing out? And then you jump on social media and just in case you were wondering where all the opinions are, you got your aunts and your uncles, which are a reason enough to jump off of social media like I did for a while. There's so much coming at you that it can feel like you're a kid walking up to a bowl, reaching out taking something that you're hoping is good, even if it's not good for you, putting it in the bag and then saying, I wonder what this scarecrow is. Is this thing real or is it not? So when Paul was in Corinth, they had a lot of different religious traditions. It was to the point where people at that time you, you had young people who were spending their days at the temple of Corinth, but the Corinthian temple was a place where they would actually go 
uh, for prostitution. Like the way that they were worshiping in their minds these gods that, that were there was through sex. That was one of the gods that was present there. And then you just look through and it's like, Paul begins to share this message. And if you talk about something that's countercultural, you begin to talk about the message of Christ. And he begins to share this message with the people of Corinth. And the interesting thing is in his time there, he decided to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because what Paul knew is that with everything that these people were facing in life and all of the temptations and everything that they would be invited to take part in that could possibly offer meaning and satisfaction and hope, and it was all of the promises of what could be and what should be in their lives if they only did these lists of things, Paul said, i got to break it down to the one thing that's real. And there's a sure thing. And if I get to the sure thing, if I get to the truth, if I get to a foundation, then maybe people can also experience the real life that I'm experiencing in God. In Corinth at the time, it was like every day was Halloween. Every day, people are living in the trick-or-treat world. And the challenge of the trick-or-treat world is that a lot of times what you thought was a treat is actually a trick. And so Paul comes in in the midst of that and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the what? I'm going to need a little bit more help. It is the, it's the power of God. For us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So if you're wondering where is the wise, where is the scribe, where is the disputer of this age, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world, that all of the things that you would bank your life on that would say this is a treat, this is the new reality, this is going to truly be sweet, you've discovered in the process that it doesn't fulfill. It's the trick. And for a culture that simply feels tricked, he continues on to them, he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign. And that was Jesus' life. Give us one more sign. Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. And if we can just know enough, if we can learn enough, then we'll get to this high level of finally arriving at brilliant human thought, which almost sounds like America today. 
where we're now looking and saying if we could one day have chips that we could insert into our minds so that we could have an infinite understanding of all knowledge, then what? We'd be at the highest form of humanity. At the highest level of understanding. But for those who are searching for the highest level of understanding, and for those who are looking for a sign, for those who are wondering where's the trick and the treat or the treat and the trick, Paul says, here's the reality. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness that Christ crucified, their idea of a Messiah, it would never be crucified. Instead, it would be a king who came in and who conquered and who took over and who established a human kingdom and human power and human rule and human reign, and that would be the foundation of their future. And for the Greeks, it would be more learning and more understanding and the knowledge of all things. But there's a simple thing that God offers us. And it's so simple that it could look foolish. But the thing that looks foolish is where the wisdom is found. And if you find the thing that looks foolish, but actually contains the wisdom of the ages, then you'll find a foundation that you can stand upon even when everything else in life is falling apart. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We're like, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> so what exactly is this idea that's wise? That the world calls foolish, but it's the wisdom of heaven. What's that thing? And Paul says, well, it's, it, it's clear. Don't you get it? I'm like, no, I, <laughs> I kind of don't get it. Like, I get it. Like, visually, I get what you're saying. It's the cross. But the problem is the cross doesn't make sense to me because the cross is the place of suffering. So I have something inside of me that's just a little internal thing I like to call my fact checker. That's like, that sounds good, but I'm smelling a rat. <laughs> and Paul, I think that you're trying to convince me of something that doesn't actually end up in the place that I want to be. And Paul says, would you mind digging in a little deeper with me? there's a message. He doesn't just say that the cross, he says that the message of the cross. And what's the message of the cross? 
I was asked a few years ago, what's the gospel? What's the gospel? And I remember there was a guy I met in Africa, and what he told me was, well, the gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection. Boom, slap it on a label, it's done. That's the gospel. And the gospel means good news, which means that the death, burial, and resurrection mean good news. And that's what the cross is about. I was like, sounds pretty good to me. But then I met my friend Steve. And Steve says to me one day, he says, can you tell me what the gospel is? And I look at Steve and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like the gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection. He's like, yeah, that's what the report of the gospel is. But do you know what the gospel is? And I'm like, Steve, I just told you. (laughs) It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Which means that because we have the death, burial, and resurrection, we have eternal life. He says, that's great. But let me tell you what the gospel is. The good news is that on your worst day, you're still loved. That on your worst day, you're still loved. I said, but Steve, it actually says that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Because I got a fact checker inside of me. He says, yeah, I know. I was talking to, to a friend of mine the other day. And as we were talking, he told me that I was wrong too. So we started talking about his wedding. And I said to him, hey, at your wedding... In your vows, did you tell your wife that you loved her? And his friend was like, of course I did. That's what the vows say. And Steve looked at him and he said, actually, the traditional vows, you did those, right? And his guy said, yeah, I did those. He goes, they don't say I love you. But you can't say the vows and not understand that you love this person. And that's when I start realizing that the thing that I've been so focused on of the getting it right, and if I can learn the thing and the death and the burial and the resurrection, and if I do the thing and I get baptized and I new life and here we go and now I've punched my ticket and stamped my passport and I'm good and I'm off to eternal life and this is great, but there's a deeper thing going on. And the deeper thing going on, the deeper thing going on in all of this is that on your worst day, you're still loved. Which is why the cross really matters is because even on your worst day, Jesus is still with you. And he still loves you. And he's offering you eternal life right there. Because what you and I really wonder about is like, hey, on my worst day, in my worst self, in the version that I don't want you to see, like, is that person still loved? What we're really wanting our entire lives is we're wanting love. And the cross says, you know what? When you didn't have anything, when you couldn't dress yourself, when you couldn't feed yourself, before you had even considered God that you were loved. 
that in your darkest moment, that day was already determined that Jesus would die for. Because he loves you at your worst. And so for all the people who want to fill up the stat sheet of their life with all of the platitudes and knowledge and I'll arrive when I get to this level of human self-understanding, reflect enough that I'll eventually increase to the fullest version of myself and reach my potential. And seek after all the wisdom and understanding and knowledge that I could possibly find. Paul says that still doesn't get to what your heart really wants. And so you're going to say that's what I want to get to because people will love that version of me. The smart, brilliant, beautiful, wise self. there's a cross and that cross says on your worst day you're still loved on your worst day he doesn't give up on you on your worst day he's still for you and if he's for you in your worst day then you don't have to pretend any day. Instead, you can just live a life that says, thank you. And that's what the cross invites us to do. It just say, thank you, God. Because you see me as I am and you love me as I am. thousand years ago a stake in the ground was driven in from heaven a cross the Romans put it there but that was heaven's moment of driving a stake in the ground that would stand forever a sure thing and three days later there was a tomb that was empty and it's a sure foundation it's a sure foundation and the resurrection says that everything that happened on the cross is real and true, and this is the place where the love lasts forever. So it's like, I don't know what to believe out there, and I don't know how to make sense of a lot of this stuff, but the one thing I do know, the one thing that I am going to be convinced of is the sure thing. And I'm going to base my life on the sure thing. And the sure thing is the one thing that Jesus did for me. And that's, I know that he died for me. He gave his life for me to say on your worst day, you're loved and I love you so much that I want to be with you forever. And that's not just then, that's every day in the here and now. It's the sure thing. Because you're going to reach out for a lot of things in life and wonder, is that real? And sometimes you're going to grab a scarecrow and it's going to grab you back. And sometimes you're going to grab a scarecrow and find out it was just a scarecrow. 
Sometimes you're going to reach out for a trick and find out it's a treat. And sometimes you're going to think it's a treat and find out it's a trick. And for a lot of you, what's happened recently is you reach out for a treat, thinking it was a treat, but it is actually a trick. And when you get tricked, that's where you feel ashamed. And that's where you feel foolish. And that's where you feel lost. And what I love is that in the space where I'm lost, in the space where I don't have it together, in the space where I've wrecked my own life, that's the place that he shows up for me. And he comes after me. I like to tell you it's the story that I was the one who came after him because I woke up early to seek him. And I showed up at church and I was faithful and I prayed hard. But if you're like me, you know that it was his goodness and it was his love. And before you could ever clean yourself up, and before you ever had a thought that was righteous and before you ever considered giving your life to him, he gave his life for you. And that's Jesus, the friend of sinners. It's the sure thing, friends. So let me just ask you the big question. Where are you standing? Are you standing on the sure thing? Or are you standing in the quicksand? The quicksand of intellect, the quicksand of Religion that says, I'm going to do enough good things and then God will love me? Or are you standing on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me? I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't have anything else to do. I know I am loved. If I never did another thing for God in my life, he would love me just the same and I don't know where you are right now, but somebody needs to hear this. You will never be more loved than you are right now. Because his love is perfect, which means his love does not change. You are imperfect, so your love changes. <laughs> some days you wake up and you love God, and some days you wake up and you don't love anything. But you have never woken up and not been loved by God at the same level as the moment that he gave his life for you on Calvary. That's the story that we have, friends, and that's why we get to simply accept it, experience the freedom of God, and then say, thank you, I wanna live my life for you. But not just for you, I wanna live my life with you because that's the God who's here is the one who's with you on your worst day. It's the sure thing. He's the sure thing. He's the sure thing. You're just sitting there, you're like, I need the sure thing. Come on, I need the sure thing. That's what we're gonna do, we're gonna worship here. 
If you're like, you know what? Today, I just need the sure thing. Here's the best move that you and I can make. We just run to the cross. I don't physically mean sprint up here. You could. But I mean run back to that space of love where the love lasts forever. It doesn't fluctuate. It doesn't change. It's real. It's true. It's the sure thing. And you go back to that space to stand in the love and to abide in the shadow of the cross of the one who loved you and gave himself for you. And that may be stepping over a line, that may be giving your life to Christ, that may be being baptized into him, that may be receiving the Holy Spirit, that may be all of those things, but it may simply be coming back to that space today and saying, you know what, I need you, Lord. So we're going to give you a chance to respond in whatever you need. We're going to be right down here. I'll say this, I would love to pray for some people today because I don't want you walking out of here the way you walked in. Some of you are holding on to some burdens that don't belong on you. We're going to knock those things off of your shoulders. You're going to walk out of here with joy and with life. We're going to knock them off of your shoulders through prayer. Because <laughs> my God answers prayers. So what do you need? We're going to be right down here. But let's all stand up and let's worship the God who loves us on our worst day.